Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Such great crowds gathered around Jesus that he got into a boat and sat there while the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to his fields to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and ate them up. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and they sprang up quickly since there was no depth there. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Let anyone with ears listen. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Amen. Some years ago in Danville, Virginia, there was an organization known as the Danville Mushroom Hunters Association. They were suffering from some rather poor organization. They had never had a president, so they thought it was time to have a president. They elected Norm because he seemed to be a leader of men and women, but more importantly, he had a key to Jeff Snyder's cabin. When Norm was elected, he took two initiatives. First of all, he said, we have no vision statement. How can we be any kind of group without a vision statement? Having watched one too many Marine movies, he came up with this, Semper Fidelis, always faithful. Second initiative was to have a mushroom hunting weekend at Jeff Snyder's cabin. They got there and they decided that their search was going to be for um, that precious query of mushroom hunters, uh, the morel mushroom. Look, there are buckskin-clad men who are one with nature, who have been driven to tears in a relentless and unsuccessful search for this holy grail of mushrooms. And then children. Children can just stumble upon a field of them. Just hard to understand. But anyway, they're there. First day, no fruit. Second day, no fruit. Third day, they have to go home, and our Mushroom Association more or less went home more or less. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Norm, being the leader of men that he was, decided we're going to have to have an emergency meeting of the association. He said, the old vision statement's not working. We're going to have a new one. And they said, what is it going to be, Norm? And he said, it's going to be Semper Investigare Nunquam in Veneri. They said, that sounds good. What does it mean? It means always looking, never finding. <laughs> now, I, I have know here in this room there are some true seekers. And, and I would say some of the true seekers know in this room, they, they find it at times a bit here, a bit there of the holy, but so often the holy grail we're looking for seems to be still out in front of us. I also know there's another group of people in this room. They're not just seekers. Um, they're what we might call sowers. 
Uh, th th these are people that have committed themselves to try to increase the abundance of life in this earth, in their family, in their homes, in the neighborhood, this church, the community, and beyond. These aren't people necessarily looking for any kind of credit or for recognition, but they would like to see sometimes something change, um, some difference. Always seeking, not always finding, always sowing, not always harvesting. These are people like you and me. We ask questions about that, don't we? Like, I mean, is it worth it? Why bother? Now, if you have ever asked that question, this parable is going to speak to that. However, before I get to that, let me suggest that the preacher, including myself at times, usually doesn't take the parable in that direction. We, you know, we build all the homiletic energy around this parable about the analyzation of the types of soils. Look, as a preacher, I'm just going to tell you every week it's a challenge. Uh, how do you come in here and say something that logical, makes sense, can be helpful. And so what do you do? You scour the commentaries. You walk all the way around the scripture for the week. You listen to your life and the life of others. And then you hope to present something that makes sense. And here Jesus comes along. And it's a gift to the preacher. Four types of soils. Don't you see? It's an automatic sermon outline. And so then you just add a little poem at the end, put a ribbon on it. Voila, sermon, you know. There's another reason preachers like that approach to this parable. It allows us to, I hate to admit this, but just work out some of our frustrations. You know, peel the bark back, just, just do a little clerical scolding, particularly the lower types of soil in the story. Shallow soil, shallow people, I can talk about that, you know. It's people that just have, um, you know, one or two items on the agenda. Pleasant, unpleasant. Things I like to do, those things I don't like to do. Avoid the things I don't like to do. And that's kind of shallow. I can talk about that. Weeds, weedy people. Yeah, these are good people. But they just got too many irons in the fire. They used to have a list, first, second, third. But somewhere along the line, they, they lost the list. They're just, they're bewildered. Got too many things going. So, so you see, this is going to work out really well if we approach the parable. I can work out my frustrations. It's not going to be hard on you because you're going to be sitting out there saying, let's see now, I bet the shallow people, the weedy people, they're not even here. And, and you're, you're going to say, I, I think I'm probably, you know, the good soil, right? So I can feel good, you can feel good, we'll have a benediction and go home. But do you know in the early church, they had a title for this parable. And guess what? The title wasn't Parable of the Soils. What do you think it was? Parable of the Sower. Ooh, there goes the sermon outline. Oh, but that's going to take us back to that question I asked a minute ago. The best biblical commentators say, if you want to go and get into the depth of this story, you're going to do it through the window of the sower. This is a parable. A parable isn't straight line, linear teaching. It's a comparison story. It uses nature. It uses the common things of life to arrest our attention by their vividness, their strangeness. Now I want to ask you a question. What part of this story is most strange, most vivid? It's the sower. 
the preposterous, outlandish generosity of this farmer who opens the seed bag and he's just throwing it everywhere. I mean, he's laughing at the birds, he's whistling at the rocks, he's throwing seeds at the root of the trees and the thorns and in the weeds, he's tossing it over the fence into the neighbor's yard. You see, I think that's the real invitation of this parable to, to go through that port of entry and say, oh my, we're called into that kind of way of living, doing, being. But Jesus knew the challenge of that. What's going on here in this parable? What's he doing? He's teaching. He's on the back end of the boat and he's looking at the shore, just like I'm looking at you. He's looking at the people out there and he's tossing the seeds of his grace and truth at everyone, tossing it broadside. Who are these people? Oh, they're like us. I mean, half the time they're confused and bewildered, but they're also like us. Why are they gathered there on the beach? A lot of them are there because they're trying to figure out what it means to live purposefully. Some of them are even trying to figure out what it means to put their feet on the path that he trod. And Jesus knows what's going to be ahead of them. There are going to be days and there are going to be seasons. There's going to be a paucity of um, harvest and results. Hey, the disciples were asking, they were wondering about that. I mean, they watched Jesus get out there every day and and just joyfully, gladfully, he would throw out his, his seeds of truth and grace. And sometimes it just didn't seem like much was changing. There were some days it didn't seem like anybody was listening, or if they were listening, they weren't getting it. And then there were the fat cat preachers down in Jerusalem. They were already circling the wagons to snuff out his life. And, and the disciples had to be wondering, is, is it really worth it? You see what happens when you turn this parable around? The question is no longer, what type of soil am I? No, the question is, do we really want to bother with this kind of life? Look, a lot of people ask that question, not just people that are into what we're into. I mean, anybody who's trying to do something worthwhile in the world, you're going to ask that sometimes. You know what it's like? You're 16 years of age, and, and you think that a sincere heart coupled with sturdy effort can change anything. Sometimes it can. Sometimes it can't. Sometimes nothing comes back, but it's just as dead and empty as 4 o'clock in the morning. The disciples were wondering about that. I think we wonder more about that than they did because, you see, we've been raised by a culture that has given us this sense that, well, you know, a good deed should produce predictable outcomes and worthy results. Not only do we want green and bumper crops for our efforts, but look, we want it now, right? I mean, you and I, we have this affliction called instantitis. Why wait? Put a few dollars down, buy it now. Clothes cleaned in an hour, car washed in two minutes. We want fulfillment to come as quickly as a McDonald's hamburger. Little boy shopping with his mother, goes over to get a box off the shelf. He brings it back. He says, oh, she says, oh, honey, you go put that back. And he says, why? She says, because you have to cook that. Now, this parable's not about cooking, but it's about farming. It's an exact business. Sometimes you don't get results. Even when there's a bumper crop, you're going to, bumper crop, you're going to have to wait. And so we ask, you know, is it worth it? Should we really bother with this? Now, if, 
in the normal stresses and strains of life, that question gets asked. I'm going to say it comes up here even more often because who are we? We're not trying to be better than anybody else, but we know this much. We're here because we're uncommonly committed to trying to tilt the creation toward toward goodness. Some days it works, some days it doesn't. Have you had some moments with your family or people you're trying to help or out there in the community and you think you've given all you had to give and somebody comes back and says, couldn't you have done a little more? You, you've done your best and, and nothing changes. I knew this man um, named Rick DeJong. He was in a church that I served, previous church. He was um, from Louisiana, had a great Cajun accent and he worked with the youth. He was a teacher. He was a counselor. Uh, they, they called him the Bayou Bingo. He loved kids, and kids loved him back. I mean, he knew how to have fun, but he also knew how to somehow talk about faith that made sense to an adolescence. He's one of those second-mile guys. Man, when he signed on to something, he was, he was in it all the way. Enthusiastic. He was always going the second mile in terms of helping and giving to kids. So one Sunday night, he comes into the group and says, I've got this great idea. We've got this lake house just a little cabin. It's a nice little lake house about 40 miles from here. Two weeks from, today, um, from yesterday on Saturday, he said, I, I want us to go out there. I'm going to have several ski boats lined up, and then we're going to have a hot dog roast. And I've got this little worship area down by the lake, and we're going to close out with the Galilean service. Well, there's a lot of buzz in the room. You know, kids were all excited. And he said, now I want you to think about two weeks from yesterday, Saturday, I want to know how many can go. I got a, I got a pad here. We're going to sign up. Everybody's raising their hands. 25, 30 of them signed up. Two weeks later, here's Rick. He's in the church parking lot. He's there at 8 o'clock in the morning. He has the church fan gassed up. He has several other drivers lined up. He has boxes of hot dogs and hamburgers. And he has gallons of ketchup and mustard. And three kids showed up. And one came to say that, Sorry, he wouldn't be going. Okay. Yeah. Um, I never heard Rick complain about it. His friends did. His friends did. Several of them said, Rick, look, these kids don't care a whit about what you're doing. I mean, why, why, do, why do you bother with them? In other words, they're shallow, you know, they're weedy. See, I'd heard some of their excuses, you know. There, there were a couple that legitimately got sick, but you, you know what most excuses, they went like this. Well, yeah, when you, you, when you asked us if we wanted to go, yeah, I wanted to go, but then when Saturday came around, well, I just didn't feel like it. That's, that's kind of weak. And his friend said, you know, what do you do? What do you do when your best efforts boomerang? Aren't you going to look for an exit ramp? Why bother? I'm going to give you the answer because the answer is here in this parable. There is good news here. Why bother? You and I bother with this kind of life because God has extravagantly, preposterously, lavishly bothered with us. That's why. Why are we here today? I mean, are we here because we worked all this out? We kind of earned our way into this kind of fellowship in this kind of moment. No, we're here.
because um, seeds of God's truth and grace, sometime at the right time in the right place, our soil conditions were just right, and they found their way into our hearts and minds, and it's made a difference in our lives, and that's why we're here. Okay? And look, this is a farming parable. This isn't something that happens just once and then it's over. No, this is something that happens again and again, season after season. This is about the abundance of grace. You throw your calculators away. Your spiritual math collapses with grace. One plus one doesn't equal two. It equals three, maybe 3,000. And doesn't this happen to people like us after a while? Our lives keep getting soaked by those good, gracious blessings. And they get down deep into our souls and our being. And don't we find ourselves having a moment when we say, sign me up for that? Gracious God, let me join you in being a good sower. Yeah, can't help but do it. What did the Native Americans say? A gift isn't really a gift until it's given twice, given away at least twice. Maybe grace isn't much of a gift until it's given away twice, shared at least twice. Hey, let me get back to Rick DeJong. You know, as I said, he never complained. I thought he was going to. I was the minister. I was kind of in a weird way looking forward to the next Sunday night. I was going to be there because I thought, man, Rick is going to peel back the bark. He is going to fuss at these kids for letting him down. For... Now nah, he walked in the room and he was just the same old Rick. He didn't say how many had come or hadn't come. He said, you know, we had some kind of fun. If you weren't there, if you missed it, don't worry. We're going to do it again. I want to ask you. I want to ask you now, where do you think that came from? I think it came from a man who knew how to live out of the spiritual depths of knowing that just doing God's work, being a part of it, it's its own reward its own joy, period, whatever the outcome, you say. Or, or I think it, it, it's representative of a man that had an unbridled sense of gratitude, that knew who he had standing behind him. He didn't have standing behind him a penny-pinching, dues-collecting God. No, he had a Abba, Father, Daddy, God, Mother, Nurturing God, a generous one. When I, when I was in theology school, uh, we had to read Bart, had to read Paul Tillich. Paul Tillich, boy, you, you would read his systematic theology. You would come to a paragraph and you'd just have to go, whoa, I got to go back and take another shot at that one. But Tillich said something and wrote something that the moment I read it, I understood it, and you'll understand it. Paul Tillich said, the history of the people of God is a history of a people who have been willing to waste their lives in love just as God has wasted his. Yeah. That's why we bother. God has so generously, graciously bothered with and for us. And by the way, when you get caught up in this life of being a sower, yeah, I know there's going to be disappointments, but just stay with it. This is mysterious work. This is God's business. I don't understand it sometimes, but I just know that growth will happen here, there, 
And you know, with, with your seed bag, don't, don't be too careful. Uh, don't be too protective of it. Don't be too selective. Don't rule out anything. Don't rule out anybody. Don't listen to someone who says, why are you talking to her? Why, why are you even bothering? It's a waste of your time. We don't know. Man, this is, this is kingdom business. This is mysterious work. We, we don't know. Look, I, I think this is a really important word for a church. I'm not saying us, but for a church that can be tempted to protect itself at the altar of predictability and productivity. It, the, the farmer in this story is like a liberated slap on the face of the church with the furrowed brow. The church that is sitting on the seed bag saying, oh, we better keep and bottle up what we have for our own consumption. We're not sure there's enough to go around. Come on. We're talking about the abundance of God's grace. The message here is cast the seeds everywhere. Cast them prodigally. Yeah, I do like to preach from this parable. Not because I like to fuss at people. No, I like to preach this parable because at our best, this is our story. This is what I experience in the church. I see things happen and I see growth happen. Sometimes I don't understand it. Sometimes it happens through us. Sometimes it happens despite efforts to try to direct it. You know, sometimes the carefully planted and groomed um, little flower pot yields nothing. And the sidewalk can't hold back the sprig of green that finds its way through a crack. Okay. This is God's business. I'll, I'll close with this story. I was in Waynesville, and one thing about being up here, you don't, I don't count people in terms of worrying, like, keep score when you're here and not here, but I notice people, you know, I, and I, I noticed this one woman, she would always be sitting toward the back, and I didn't know her name, and I saw her for a couple of months, and she always got out, um, you know, during the last hymn. She probably didn't want to have to have a lot of conversation. Or, so one Sunday, she must have stayed a little longer, and I met her out front. I welcomed her, introduced myself, and she said, yeah, I've been coming here for a couple months, and she says, frankly, I'm a little surprised that I'm coming. I said, well, what do you mean? She says, well, I gave up church a long time ago. I said, well, why? She said, well, maybe I was in the wrong place. Maybe I weren't, wasn't hearing things in the right way, but it just seemed like the only conversation I heard in church was a bunch of negation. I, I just kept hearing people talk about who and what they were against, what they were against. And something in my soul just said, for heaven's sake, for goodness sake, can't somebody say something what we're for? I understood that, yeah. I said, well, why are you here now? She said, well, I didn't come to worship at first. I, I came here for a civic club meeting. It's in what you call your growth center. It was on a Saturday. And as I was coming into the building, a bunch of young people were coming in. They were all, you know, dirty and dusty and sweaty. And um, they were carrying these baskets of tomatoes and cucumbers. And I asked somebody, I said, what is that about? And they said, 
It's a gleaning ministry, a gleaning project. And I had to ask some more questions. I know about that. It's, it's, a, it's a national Christian movement that goes into the fields where they're invited. There's a big movement over in Bethel, not far from here. And this is what happens when the, the people come in to harvest the crops. There's always something left over in those fields. And the farmers say, come one, come all, particularly to nonprofit groups. You come and harvest the leftovers and use it for good things. So these young people, she said, where are they from? And somebody said, well, they're, they're from the youth group here at the church. She said, there they were. They had bushels of tomato and cucumber, and they said they're going to take them to one of the local food pantries for people that don't get fresh vegetables. She said, um, I looked at that, and for the first time in years, my spiritual curiosity got awakened, and I just wanted to, to understand where was that energy coming from? That's why I'm here. Now, do you see what's going on there? That's not really that unusual story. It's just the church trying to be the church. I mean, trying to be God's sowers. You, you, you fling out the seeds of truth and grace, and sometimes they just fall on weeds, and nobody's listening. It's hard ground. But you never know. I would venture to say this woman two years before that wouldn't have been ready for that moment. But here, just at the right time and the right place, she hears something, she sees something, and the soil of her life was ready, plowed, furrowed, waiting to receive a good gift. And who knows? Because it's God's business before God's over with her and who she influences. This might be 60-fold, 100-fold. It, it could be a bumper crop. At the end of the parable, Matthew wraps it up and just says, may those who have ears, just let them hear.